Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. Hosted by Matt Noss and Nate Wright. All right, everybody, welcome back. Part-Time Outdoors, episode 14. We have Daniel Hill on the line with us today. Dan, what's up, buddy? Oh, just uh, starting to enjoy the weekend. How about you? Well, um, having a pretty good day. It's April Fool's. Has anyone got you today? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. I've, I didn't realize it when I woke up. One person's got me so far. Uh, my buddy Ben Smith texted me and said, "Hey, did you see that their um, snowshoe is moving?" dirt around on top of the mountain to make it the highest point in West Virginia. Cause I'm a real big spruce knob guy. That's the highest point in West Virginia. And I was like, what are you kidding me? I was like, good. It'll, it'll keep people away from my uh, favorite spot. And then I was like, <laughs> ah, it's April fools, isn't it? And then, uh, Beretta had posted a, uh, over under under gun on their, uh, Instagram as well. And, uh, that's when I was like, okay, I probably um, need that, but I, I saw that. I saw that. Um, I did see something else on Instagram. Um, Ed Lyons, he's um, he's a eye doctor, and he does he also does um, eyewear. And uh, he had a is one of those tin little special looking tin of, of pills, and it was supposed to be eye dominance enhancing pills or something along those lines. <laughs> I could probably <laughs> use a couple of those. I was reading the comments on that uh, over, under, under from Beretta, and people were like, yeah, but uh, all jokes aside, like, you guys going to build this? Because I could, I could probably use it. There is a company out there that is doing a three-barreled gun. I, I'm trying to think of who it is, but uh, um, it's like it's like a side-by-side with a 
barrel on top or barrel below. I can't remember what it is, but it's not like drillings. It's huh. but it's it's three barreled shotgun. I wonder what but, the weight uh, on something like that would be. No, what I heard is they're not. It's not too bad actually. Huh. It's not horrible. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, get into it. Basically, so Dan hunts over in England, or he at least went on a trip over in England. We'll get into how many times he goes. Um, being from West Virginia, I'm not a super culture guy. I can say that cause I'm from West Virginia. Nobody else hate on us, but, uh, so just kind of like to dive in on kind of bird hunting and hunting in general over in England and kind of get what Dan experienced over there, uh, the differences and things like that. So Dan, if you want to go ahead and tell everybody kind of what your hunting background is, and then you can kind of, we can get into the England hunt. Well, I started, um, white-tailed deer hunting around the actually the age 18 so i got kind of a late start my my dad was more into fishing so i did um a lot more fishing uh you know uh, while i was younger um but um my uncles were into whitetail hunting and i just decided to go ahead and and get involved um i, I had i've had a you know a, a 22 since i was like 11 years old so i've been around firearms um, but I, st uh, bird hunting though, for me started about, I'm thinking it was, I can't remember now. It might, might've been five years ago, but it's no more than five years ago, four or five years ago. That probably wasn't too far off where I met you. I, I met you on the, on the game lands on a random morning, probably what, three years ago now. That sounds right. Yeah. And then it's, we've just kind of always kept in touch ever since. Yeah. we got that one chance to go uh go uh this season unfortunately i think uh the the birds were few and far between yeah. might have been predicted or something along those lines but uh still was a great time i had oh, a great yeah. time i loved watching your dogs work yeah that was that was a good time i was i was glad i got to meet up with you and catch up since um we, we've been planning it for a while it just always seemed like something happened or um i think one year i can't remember if it was you that had you got an injury or something like that and we just nothing ever came together. Then the one time that we did get together, the they hadn't stalked for like a month or two or something like that. So, no worries. Anytime out in the field's better. Uh, a bad day in the field, better than the best day at work. So oh, for sure. So you got uh, you got started. Uh, sorry to cut you off there. You got started. Um, you can go ahead and continue about your hunting background. Well, I, like I said, I started I started with whitetail, and more recently, I've started in bird hunting. I've been turkey hunting. I've just not been able to seal the deal. I've gone out for the last four springs, I think, and just it's just it's just never worked out. But eventually, eventually, the odds are going to be, be getting my favor. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, uh, you're you got about what two weeks left for uh, turkey seasons up and on us. I believe that is correct. Yeah, and. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that. Getting out with uh, one of the one of my uh, other hunting buddies, uh, who's a retiree, and uh, he's fairly knowledgeable fella, especially. And I have access to some property pretty close by the house, so that makes it really nice. But uh, yeah, that's been that's been pri my primary focus has been uh, whitetail and uh, and bird hunting, and um, you know the the. Would you like to hear, I guess, the uh, the story of how the whole England thing started? Yeah, hit us up. Let us know. Yeah, well, I'll try to not get too far in the weeds and be brief. Um, 
I remember watching an episode of one of the one of the outdoor TV shows, and there was a fella that was doing a, a driven board hunt. And this particular fella, I can't remember his name now, which is silly, but uh, I remember the fact that he's left-handed, and I'm left-handed, and that kind of things like that stick in my mind. Um, but I was going on YouTube trying to find that because I watched it years ago, and I'd like to watch it again. Well, I couldn't really find that particular episode or anything with him in it at the time. But, you know, the whole YouTube metrics and all that stuff, it starts um, the uh, it's it's like, oh, well, maybe you'd be interested in this. So it puts me onto wild boar fever. So I start watching some of wild boar fever. And so then it thinks, well, maybe he might want to watch this. And I come across this kind of younger looking fella. Uh, from England talking about shotguns. And I'm like, okay, I'll, well, sure, I'll give that a watch. And I'm like, eh, you know, I wasn't like super enamored the first time. But, you know, once you watch one, it, you know, eventually it's going to recommend another thing from that same channel. So I watch and it's like, this is starting to get a little more interesting. I start making comments. They start commenting back. You know, this is, this is my first, you know, really, um, thing of really trying to communicate through, you know, YouTube discussion. And as time goes on, we discuss more. And I actually talk to some of them on the phone, people work at um, the shop that's associated with the channel. And they end up deciding to do um, a driven bird hunt of, of, you know, potentially of followers. And um, I thought, you know what? I'm 40-something years old. I've never been off the North American continent. It's high time I did it. So, um, yeah, I said yes, and I said, where do I, you know, here's my credit card information, sign me up. And, you know, I just started making making arrangements and and uh, looking, looked into, um, you know, the typical sightseeing things, and they were also giving me some suggestions of places to go. Because that was pretty much for that first trip. That was really the only only solid plans I had for hunt. But that was fine because you know it's, it's a vacation, and I was just I was just going to wing it. So that's how that's how it got started. It was actually off YouTube. But um, the thing is, also what what brought me into even thinking about that kind of stuff was also the fact that I've been clay shooting for about ten years. And uh, a friend of mine who's no longer with us, um, who was a predecessor out, out at the club uh, for match director for Clay's, he um, he got me hooked on Clay's. And, you know, at times, you know, that can be a transit. You can transition from from Clay's to bird hunting. And if I were since I was already a hunter for, with, um, you know, uh, a deer hunter, it's like, well, it seems like a natural progression to get into bird hunting and I, you know, I was hooked when I went over there. I mean, it was, it was a really spectacular time. Um, everybody was, uh, it was at North Oakley States, I think. And it was a driven partridge hunt or like a chucker. It's same thing as a chucker. It's, it's the, it's the red leg. That's what I was going to ask if those were like Huns over there, like Hungarian partridge or chuckers or, or what they referred to those at, over there. Well, they also have what I think are very similar, if not the same, uh, to what you're calling a hun. I think is also a, 
an English partridge partridge or a gray partridge, okay. maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but those those birds, um, they're more naturally occurring. They're I think they are native to um, to England versus basically everything else has been introduced. You know, the pheasants, the um, well, at least the pheasants and the uh, red legs okay. uh, are are birds that they put out. Um, you know, there's always going to be some carryover from one season to the next, but, you know, with predation and disease and all that same stuff that we typically run into here in the East, you know, there's not usually a lot of carryover. Right. Um, from one season to the next, you got new birds out most years. Um, but, uh, there was one other American, a couple people from Ireland, and I think pretty much everyone else was um, from England. And um, he just basically put a shotgun in my hand and um, said, "Well, I mean, he he knew that I, I, I you know, Johnny knew that I um, knew my way around a shotgun and you know typical safety and things of that nature." So uh, yeah, we had uh, four. I want to say it was four drives. So, so a driven hunt typically, what they'll do is um, they'll have a certain number of drives where you be put in certain places. They'll move you around uh, in the area, and uh, you'll have beaters that'll walk through where the birds sh should be. And the idea is the beaters push the birds into the line of shooters, or on the, the shooters are on what's called a peg, is their position. So and, a beater's kind of like uh, is a person, right? Yeah, beater's a uh, generally a person, but they also they'll bring dogs along as well to help out with um, with pushing the birds, um, getting them up and getting them flying towards the uh, line of hunters. Okay. And I think that's um, and there's other people involved. There's obviously the gamekeepers and the uh, people that are called pickers up, which probably can also be the beaters to an extent. Uh, but then there also, there might be, and there's just people that help out with picking up the birds when they've been shot, collecting them up. Um, and uh, typically halfway through, they'll do like after the second, at least after the second um, drive, they'll stop for what's called 11s, which is kind of like some, snacks and it can vary and what we had was wild boar and apple sausage hmm, and uh and slow gin and prosecco which that's the kind of interesting thing that um that you know some that some people um seem probably think it's kind of interesting that oh you drink while shooting and it's like well and understand that it's not you know where people are sitting there for half an hour just constantly chugging drinks they're they're having a drink and while they're doing that they're usually having something to eat and they're having a conversation to see how other see how the other shooters are doing and that and that little break's called uh 11 cents 11 z's 11 z's yeah well not a, well 11 z's There's, yeah I'm, I'm kind of enunciating but yeah 11 z's Gotcha. I guess when I think of that, I'm I'm thinking over there they're more drinking like uh, tea and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is that, but usually that's not 
probably the, the, the usual fare uh, for an 11Zs, but that's not to say that that isn't available, especially like on colder days. It's probably more welcome than, than alcohol. Right. Um, but um, so after our hunt, right after our hunt, we had um, – and all these things differ. The, 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 way the, the way the hunts can be set up, in this case, this was a um, kind of a commercial type of, uh, of, of affair, but, you know, involved with it are these um, – um, oh, come on, Dan – niceties or you know just the uh, I, I, the words words eluding me right now but there's you know that the, there's this break where it's where you're where you're fed and then also we had a lunch after we were done with all four of the drives and that was uh smoked salmon uh was the main was the main dish there was appetizers of course there was port wine and 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 beer and if you wanted to, you could have tea or coffee. Um, and then somehow we just continued that. After that, we continued on to a local pub uh, that had already made arrangements for uh, for dinner. Um, and we ate there, and we, we, we were there reasonably late. Um, and it turned out I stayed at this place, and it was a really nice place to stay. Uh, the red dragon, red not red dragon, um, the bell and dragon maybe perhaps. I think there's like four or five of them um, around, but yeah, it was but- it was a really great time. Everybody was like super friendly, super super friendly. Um, and and th- it was it this was, was this was your initial trip or this was uh, the most recent trip? That was on my initial trip. Okay. Um, subsequently, I've done a few other hunts. I've done few, I've done two other trips, and um, there's been a little bit more bird hunting. I've got into some I got into some pheasant hunts, and also did on this last one a uh, I got to actually do a deer hunt with uh, it was a it was a call call hunt which you know they're just taking out the really old deer or you know the deer that might not have good genetics or you know things along those lines and it was a um, very old uh, roe doe, which looks like eh, a little bit like a whitetail. Uh, typically, they're much much smaller though than anything. I mean, what I shot was probably like a um, probably about the size of maybe a yearling doe, a yearling whitetail doe. But um, yeah, that was. Um, oh, I feel like I'm not going in. I, I, I'm not going through this in a. Uh, is organized a manner as I'd hoped. <laughs> you're, you're good. Yeah, the uh, I saw your picture of the road deer. I thought that was it surprised me because I thought you were going over there mostly just to hunt birds, and then I, I saw you post a picture of a road deer, and I was like, it kind of got me thinking as far as like when you go over there, um, what that process is like. Um, I I didn't know if you had as far as like the shotguns and rifles, if you took those with you, if you rented them over there, how all that worked. But uh, that kind of got my wheels turning a little bit on that. Well, uh, to, I'll go dabble into or, or delve into that a little bit. Um, what I have been doing is I've been more or less borrowing uh, a firearm. But in that case, the owner has to be there, you know, to 
you know, he has, they have to be present. Um, because otherwise what I would need to do is, uh, fill out a form 107 and get it approved. And that's more or less a, what's referred to, I think is a visitor's license. Okay. And uh, that would allow me, you know, to possess certain things, whatever's specifically listed on the license, uh, you know, within the regulations that they have for the types of firearms, um, uh, yeah. Uh, but just typically let's say, well, uh, from that perspective, what I've done is it's just been the simplest thing to do is just, is just to borrow things. It is, is just to borrow the firearms as opposed to worrying too much about the actual transport. Obviously there are people that shoot Olympic competitions and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's done. It's just something that this, at this point I haven't had the, uh, real need to because you know i'm not going to compete so i don't need a shotgun that fits me perfect or something along those lines right i i make do i'll make myself fit the gun um but uh yeah fire but firearms ownership over there how that compares to the states obviously they don't have a second amendment so it's a privilege to own firearms over there mm. uh we have a shotgun certificate and a firearm certificate, and those are two separate uh, things. In both cases, you you know you're filling out a form, you have a background check, um, you actually have to have a. I don't know if it's quite actually a psychological evaluation, but it's a um, it's at least you getting a doctor to say that they have no reason to believe you would do anything that you're not unstable in any way that you, they have no reason to believe you'd do something bad right. with, with, with the guns. Um, in addition, there are storage requirements and you have to buy rated, uh, well, I want to call it safe. They're more like cabinets, but rated cabinets, there's ones for shotguns and there's ones for firearms, firearms basically being, you know, rifle calibers, anything rifle caliber. Um, and they have to be installed and um, a representative from the local police has to come and inspect it and see that it's up to his his standards for security, that you've bolted it down in, in a reasonable manner. Um, and that's all that has to be done before they would consider approving those licenses. And oh, by the way, hopefully I don't step, I get most of this stuff relatively right. So anybody from England or the UK that hears me talking about this kind of stuff, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. I think I know a little better the laws over there than I did apparently how things, how pheasant hunting was done in South Dakota when I had the interview with Johnny a few years ago. So, Yeah, I didn't realize, I guess it just didn't really occur to me. I mean, I, I know they don't have a Second Amendment. But um, the fact that it being a privilege and you have to jump through all those things, it it does make us think like you know how lucky we are, and uh, it, but it really puts in perspective like how many differences there are from over there to over here. I was trying to do a little bit of history, do some homework um, as far as the history of bird hunting and all that, and in, in the UK and whatnot. And because I was trying to think, I was like, what would be a good title for this episode? I was like, Dan's trip to England, uh, Dan's hunting trip to England. Um, I guess in the UK, 
hunting doesn't necessarily even refer to bird hunting. Um, it kind of looked like to me that um, if you're hunting, then you more are using hound dogs to hunt foxes and minks and hares and things like that. But if you're shooting game birds, they call it shooting. And then if you're hunting like deer, then they call it, uh, what was it? I think uh, stalking, like deer stalking, not deer hunting. So there's there's definitely a lot of differences. Um, And and that's why I want to do this interview, just kind of see like what kind of differences there were between the U.S. and the U.K., Okay, let's let's start with uh, let's start let's go back into the bird hunting, and I've kind of described what a driven hunt is like over there. That you just literally have a line of a line of guns in a certain area, and there are beaters that push that push through an, an adjacent area to push birds out over to have them fly over the line of shooters. Um, so that's more or less how that's done. Um, whereas in the United States, they usually have the closest thing that they have with a few exceptions is what they'll call either a tower hunt or a continental hunt. That's supposed to be our best, our best reasonable effort into simulating that. Um, I know that if you say tower hunting to many people over in the UK, they'll, it's like almost like, it's almost like a, a a bad word, um, but everybody, and that's that's the thing is that everybody's got their what they're accustomed to and their traditions. And one of the things that I would be hopeful of that most people would understand that it's like it might not be your bag, but it's what we do. Yeah, what, I, I had it, never it, even it, really it, heard of a tower hunt until I talked to you. I I actually had to Google it. I was like, because in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking you're up in a tower uh, shooting at birds with like a rifle or something. I had no idea what a tower hunt is. Can you can you go ahead and explain to everybody what a tower hunt is? Well, a tower hunt, like I said, this is something that pretty much I think it's kind of unique to the United States. And it's their intent or a continental hunt is their intent is they're trying to present birds in a similar manner um, as a driven hunt would be in England with the difference being that you're literally throwing, you've got either like a tower, a a built up tower with a, with a, with a, with a, um, with a, usually with a hole or something in the top or in the sides or whatever. And they're literally chucking birds up in the air and the birds go flying and the intent is that hopefully that the birds go flying over the over the um over the guns and what they usually have is they'll have the tower completely surrounded now this is like i said this is something that's unique to the united states and it's because there's a lot that goes into the way they set up driven hunts and the game and the game keeping and the hu- the husbandry that goes along with it um because what they tend to do is they're they're the birds are kind of in pens over in england but they're open top pens so the birds can come and go as they please but there's water and food in the pens and so they'll naturally tend to come come back at some point but the idea is what they're doing is they're kind of wilding the birds they're getting the birds to be 
um, yeah, just wild it as opposed to kind of, um, pen, you know, being in a pen their entire life and then just, uh, you know, put out to be. Right. So, sh- that, so they are you know, kind of more of a wild bird than necessarily just like a pen race bird that we're used to on like PA, uh, like put and takes. Right. Exactly. And, uh, of course, then, you know, then there's truly wild birds, which, you know, South Dakota, Iowa, places like that. Um, but it's just a matter of like, um, expense. It's, uh, it's, if you look at the cost, let's say the typical cost per bird of a driven hunt, let's say if you're talking about pheasant, you know, it was a few years ago, probably about 45 pounds a bird. Now, like I said, you're not just talking about the cost of the birds. You're talking about paying beaters, paying, you know, paying the salaries of the, helping to pay the salaries of the gamekeeper, helping to pay to, you know, to get, give some money to the landowner or the estate owner. Um, you know, the hospitalities, that was the word I was looking for earlier. The, the, the hospitalities, whatever they, whatever they do. So, and those can range, be very wide ranging. You can have things that are almost, um, very little hospitalities and just like even like a walked up hunt and i'll talk about talk about the walked up hunt i had uh, hopefully in a little bit and i'll hopefully try to keep this in a straight manner um uh without getting off the tracks a little um but yeah the back to the to the tower hunt then that again that was our that was our attempt to try to do a driven hunt without the quite the expense because if you're talking about 45 pounds two years ago in American money, that would be about 60 bucks a bird, 60 or 70 bucks a bird. Wow. And there's a lot of play. There's probably a lot of people that don't want to pay that unless there's some pretty nice hospitalities that go with it. But then even then it might be out of some people's budgets. Um, so, you know, there's, I think a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of the hunting preserves that we have in the states, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be reasonable, be reasonable at, with the cost, but understanding that they have over in the UK, they have a much longer legacy and they have this uh, history of doing this stuff in a certain manner. And that was just never adopted right. in the state. It almost seems like over in the UK um, that sh- bird shooting, I guess would be the correct term, is almost like a, a rich person sport. I know that like kings and queens and, and all of the upper class, that was like what they did. That's like their nostalgia. That's their history. So I can I can see how that would be on the more expensive side there, but then with that comes the hospitalities and and all of the uh, extra workers and things like that. Um, as far as bird hunting here, I mean, it's I feel like it's affordable for pretty much everyone. Well, we have the we have the the unique aspect that you know, like even like in Pennsylvania, where you and I go hunt on public land, we th- the cost of our licenses pays for them to buy birds to put out for us to hunt right um over in england there's really no such thing as public land and any any of the land that is sort of public there's not going to be any hunting whatsoever on it it's just um it's 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 
hunting is, I wouldn't quite, quite call it is mainstream. I want to be difficult about not calling about saying it's not mainstream, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I'm struggling for the right things for the right thing to say, but it's, maybe not quite as accepted because there's more there seems to be lots of people that are uh like militant nearly anti-hunting over there and you know you know in the states you have very few of those because well people can take matters into their own hands a little easier here in the states and, and not really have any serious repercussions i mean you know smacking somebody or you know somebody gets out of line or you know well like <laughs> that sounded like a, the oscars recently but <laughs> but um you know i mean th and that's the thing about going back to the gun ownership you have to have the cleanest record i mean those are the most law-abiding people that you're going to run into i mean it's not not really any any that much different but you know we could have probably a couple of arrests or, you know, a speeding ticket or something like that. And nobody's going to come and that, that's not a thing to take away our firearms. Whereas over there, there's a possibility that something like that could be grounds for revoke, revoking a license. Wow. So the folks over there have to be very mindful of, of, of what they're doing, especially because there's people, these, a lot of the aunties will literally try to provoke them into doing something that can cause them one to look bad, but two also lose their rights. And once pretty much once or not rights privilege, once, once you lose that privilege, you don't really get it back. There's, there's not too much chance of that, but, um, but back to the, um, uh, back to the hunting and the types of hunting. So, they also do walked up and it's not quite as popular but it but it i think it almost is gaining popularity and that is one walked ups can can tend to be a little less expensive so the more common person common person um that's us yeah <laughs> can afford things like that it's not to say that if you do, if you might not be able to go as to as many of these things like this partridge hunt that I did a few years ago. I think, you know, that again, including hospitalities and all that stuff, I think it was 550 or 600 pounds. So that would be like about $800. But for me, you know, it's not something I'm doing every weekend. It's not something I'm doing every month. This is something I'm doing once a year. And that's good enough for me. Right. So this was just, and that this, was, that was, and that was on the, that quote, that price I quoted, quoted you was that driven partridge hunt with hospitalities. Um, so a walked up hunt, like you were saying, um, I, I honestly, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what a walked up hunt is. Is that kind of like a, uh, kind of like when you go to the hair place and you get, uh, you go in and you walk in and you don't have an appointment and they just, They'll do your thing, your th your hair real quick. Yeah, is that kind of how it is with the uh, a walked hunt? Like you go in, you order some pheasants, they put them out, and then you go and you go and get them. There's no hospitalities, no uh, beaters, anything like that. Is that what a walked up hunt is? Um, a walked up hunt is basically what you and I is similar to what you and I do, either 
more like on the game lands than what than what we would do if we went to a hunting preserve. But generally speaking, if you're going on a walked up hunt in England, the birds are already out there. Like I said, that wild that sort of wilding process where they're able to kind of come and go from the pens as they want. And as time goes on, I think what they do and forgive me, anybody from the UK that's listening, if I don't have this right, all the gamekeepers, Ant, Dave, all the rest of it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think what they do is they'll kind of restrict them being able to go back into the pens a little bit, but they'll also be putting feed out outside of the pens and, and some water and stuff so the birds just get accustomed to being uh, penned up. So they become a little bit more natural, but then they'll start to spread out. And in the case, and I don't remember the name of the place, but I went with uh, my buddies, Chris. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, gosh. Chris and Steven. And we did a walked-up hunt. Now, what we did was uh, it's more typical to hunt walked-up over flushing dogs as opposed to pointers, like which is more common for us. And so it's literally like you got to – it's like almost game on, you know what I mean, all the time because – it's not that you're going to necessarily have as much of an opportunity to kind of know, if, you know, if the dog's on point, there should be something flushing from somewhere out sort of in front of the dog. The dog can be going along, you know, with a flushing dog, the dog is usually going back and forth in some kind of a pattern, but the intent is to just literally get the birds to jump out, to jump up and, um, and take off without like literally pointing um and that's very in, that's that's a very interesting uh alternative way and that's what's the more common for their walked up hunts but like i said they put the birds the birds are already out there it's not that they've put birds out that morning or right. the night before or something like that um but that's not to say that there's like here that I, I have no problem with put and take whatsoever. It's just, you know, what can you afford? What's available to you? Um, but, you know, there are a, some of the game preserves. One in particular, I don't know, I'm going to name names, but I hunted there for the first time and I was really impressed with how many birds were already out that had nothing to do with us. And this is their typical thing. This is how they do it. And they have good hospitality. It's a little bit more expensive than going to some of the other places that really don't have any hospitality. But again, if you're only doing it a few times a year, then it's not a big, it's not a big deal to pay that little bit of extra money. But I mean, they were cleaning the birds, they were feeding us. Right, it's a, it's a whole experience. Right. And I mean, in this one place in particular, it was, it's very nicely manicured. It's, it, they've done great things for the habitat for the birds to thrive and be able to stay away from predators because that, that's, I think, a part of it. Uh, sometimes the predation, um, the, the, the ability for predators to get, to get the birds has to do with the environment that the birds are in the, 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 the floor and foreign or whatever you want to call it, the, 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 the kind of foliage and, and, and things it, it, that I think that 
comes into it. But anyways, so um, on this hunt, it was it was funny with with Chris and uh, this walked up hunt with uh, Chris and Stephen. Um, first bird I missed. I was borrowing uh, one of Chris's guns. I got the next one, and then and I kind of wish I'd have been thinking more about it. This this hunt was set up to basically you could have each shooter could have four pheasant any combination of four pheasant uh partridge woodcock or snipe unlimited um pest birds which they seem to be doing a very good pigeons for one they were doing a very good job of staying way out of range <laughs> and um unlimited wild duck and in this case I got two duck. Then there's the first, actually, I hate to say this, this was the first two duck I've ever shot in my life. But uh, hopefully I can fix that and I'll be going on some more, you know, duck hunts here in the States in the future. But those are my first two ducks. I kind of wish I had gotten a picture because I would have had a nice, you know, two of them together make a brace. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I just didn't think about it at the time because I was kind of, you know, just in the moment enjoying, you know, being with those guys and being out in the, out, you know, out in the countryside. Uh, a little later on, I suddenly forgot how to shoot. <laughs> so that was, that was, a, that was a good laugh. Uh, I guess you're doing good though. It's a good day when you can laugh at, at, at stuff like that. But. Right. Well, you prefaced it with you used their gun. So you had an excuse right off the bat, right? Well, but the thing is, <laughs> I wasn't having any problem the first day, the first half of the day. It didn't seem like I was missing too much, but uh, whatever. It, it's you know, it was it was still a great time, and it you know, especially with that extra bird with with the with the unlimited ducks. If you can get into some ducks, that's where the that's where you get into a better value. That's another one of those better values. Right. Um, this place wasn't set up to at least this hunt wasn't set up for any kind of real hospitalities. They did make us tea or go. we did have tea available to us. And I, and I certainly took uh, that opportunity and we had, we brought out some of our own snacks, but, um, but no, that was a really great time. Um, yeah. Um, I don't want to ramble on if there's um, if I'm sure there's probably some other things yeah, uh, like, I'll, I'll touch on a couple other things. The uh, uh, one of the questions I had, as far as it, it kind of shocks me that I was going to ask about their public land over there and things like that. Um, I don't hunt a lot of preserves, but when I do, I've been fortunate enough to to know a guy that will take me with him for uh, they call it cleanup days. So if they have a, a continental hunt on Saturday, they'll have a cleanup day on Monday. And that that kind of sounds like what that walked up hunt is almost as far as like how it goes with the birds already being out and they then go back and forth. But um, yeah, I was I'm inter I'm really interested in the fact that they don't have public lands over there, which makes me kind of wonder what their their laws are as far as um, like I know in the states there's a lot of places like WMA's banning lead. Like you can't use lead. Do they have any like weird special laws like that over there? Well, um, they do have. Let's say they, they understand they do have seasons for for game seasons for game birds, seasons for deer. Um, 
I'm not going to, well, if we get really bored, I'll, <laughs> I'll go into general licenses, but that's something we don't need to really bother with, I think, in this discussion. Yeah, you can see uh, that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, ber- generally speaking, bird hunting goes on. It's it's similar for us. It's it's a similar kind of time frame for us. It starts back, I think, August the twelfth. Uh, oh, I can't remember what they call it. They have a, they have a term for it. But anyways, that's actually the start of the grouse season. And I believe at the beginning then of September is the start of partridge season. And then in October is the start of pheasant season. And I think they all pretty much, and I can't remember where the, where the, where the, uh, where the the duck and goose and, you know, wild, wildfowl, waterfowling, where that, where that actually, what timeframe that actually starts and when it ends. But then I think most of them pretty much end uh, February 1st. So, you know, they've got a pretty good, pretty good season. Um, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's not unlike, unlike ours, but there's, um, you know, you can get from the top, from the top to the bottom of England in, in, you know, eight, 10 hours. And it's just, there's, you know, there's, there's a release of, you know, 35 plus million birds a year. Wow. I think, um, and that's just pheasant. That's not even talking some of the other things. Is it um, uncommon to be um, like walking around the cities and and see pheasants flying around, kind of like uh, doves in the U.S.? Well, you'll certainly see plenty of feral pigeons. I can tell you that. You can, you'll never you'll never get away from feral pigeons for very long. Um, Pheasant don't pheasant and the game birds don't tend to. I mean, it's not to say that they don't on occasion, but I don't recall seeing uh, too many um, in towns. If you you know if you're talking about maybe even a you're talking about a very rural, really tiny town, you know they they might wander a little bit, but I think they're going to tend to stay near closer to what they're accustomed to, unlike the flying rats. The flying rats, wherever the hell they want, and eat whatever they can find. Uh, so yeah, game birds you typically don't see wandering into into urban areas that much, gotcha. at least in my experience. But you know, we're only talking. My experience is like about nine weeks, <laughs> <laughs> nine weeks in total of being over there, which is still a lot more than probably some people. So but, I couldn't uh, really help but notice and one of the things that I've always been a little bit jealous of as far as over in the UK, um, just when I see their pic like people post pictures over there, bird hunting and things, they're always all dressed up and looking good. Uh, I feel like in the US we're always covered in orange and uh they they really have their own style over there. It's like a uh like a nostalgic style. They wear like the the old the old tweed jackets or whatever with the greens and I, you really don't see anyone with orange on. Is that not a law over there? Um, it's just not real. It's very uncommon to see orange. Um, except when some dumb American shows up with his orange flat cap. Um, <laughs> if you go to my Instagram, you'll find, you'll find that guy, the beacon. Um, anyways, uh, like if you get into Europe 
in some parts of Europe, especially if you're hunting deer or something like that, I think there's some requirements for orange. But in the UK, you basically, I'm not sure that you ever see it. But yeah, it's obviously the bird hunting is, especially when you're talking about the game birds, it's very steeped in tradition. But understand, you know, tweed can run the gambit. I bought some tweed uh, for this, just for this trip. But I still managed to keep it under about $300 for a pair of breeks. That's like what we call, well, trousers that are that just come just below the knee. I was going to say pants, but pants is underwear over there. They're basically um, capris. <laughs> um, a... Uh, you know, a decent, a, a, a decent button down shirt tie. Um, I saw your a, orange tie and your orange socks, uh, a tweed, a tweed waistcoat, um, and a tweed field jacket. And I think I was under $300 and that was like Walker, Walker and Hawk, Hawk and Walker and Hawks or some Walker and Hawk or something like that. That's actually got it off of Amazon, I think. But, um, yeah, but then yeah, it's almost like there ought to be a secondary market for tweed because I actually bought a used Allen Payne, which is one of the better brands, um, uh, a field jacket off of one of the guys while I was over there for like 65 pounds. Normally, you can put a two, at least a two in front of that 65 for what that would cost new. And this basically was brand new. I think it had been worn once. But, uh, but then again, it, it kind of depends. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a social thing. So that's part of why they do it. Um, the tradition, but then there is times when you can still dress nice, but it doesn't have to be full tweed. Did they kind of, on your first trip over there, did they kind of warn you like, hey, uh, you're going to need to dress up a little bit? Or did you just show up like all in blaze orange ready to go? No, no. I mean, I I think, you know, they did give me a little bit of hint, but I also kind of knew going into it, it, you're not going to be showing up in, in, you know, in jeans or or camo. Right. Something like this. In fact, there was an episode of... um, uh, not Top Gear. What was the what was the follow up to Top Gear when they moved to Amazon? Nah, I um, okay. Well, anyways, I'll have I'll have to send you that. You'll get a you'll get a kick out of that. As I asked Johnny, is this what you expected to see when I showed up the first time? <laughs> um, but um, but then again, it, it can depend on the weather. It can depend on what you're doing because there was a. Um, they call this. They call uh, these groups. They're called syndicates, which you know over here has a connotation of like gangsters and and criminals and things of that. But a syndicate is usually like a a group or a club or something like that that are usually um, renting property to have um, to have bird hunts um, and. One of, one of my buddies over there um, uh, up in the sort of north central portion of the country, I've hunted twice now with his club syndicate. Uh, I don't think they actually refer to themselves as a syndicate. I'm not sure. Um, but they're, again, they're a little bit more relaxed, usually kind of dressed up. Now, this last time I was over there, 
it was about the most miserable thing, miserable day, weather-wise, that I've had being over there. Still had a great time, but people started wearing more technical type clothing, less traditional clothing, usually still browns and, you know, browns and, 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 and greens and, and, and maybe tans or something like that. But it was a more, it was a more um, up-to-date technology um, things with, you know, like stuff with like multiple layers with membranes and things of that nature. So it just, it just really depends on, you know, the, what's, what's been, what's been agreed upon. And you know the and and what what group you're hunting with, so yeah. it can it can kind of run the gambit. It can run from full tweed to absolutely no tweed. Makes sense. Well, I got I, I do thank you for enlightening us and culturing us a little bit. Uh, there's definitely some shockers in there that I, that I didn't realize as far as you know, not much public land, and they don't really have the uh, Second Amendment rights that we have. They're more just privileges. Um, the tower hunts like. Uh, all of those things were definitely um, definitely eye openers for me. I do have two questions, and then I'll let you go, uh, sure. or points rather. One, I saw the food looked phenomenal over there, and it looked like you tried to do a little bit yourself when you came back. But those Yorkshires looked pretty amazing. Is that just like is that like a dessert? Because it looked like a a golden brown crispy uh, pudding or something. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's a pudding, or it's a, what they refer to as a pudding, um, or Yorkshire pudding, um, and it's kind of more or less like a kind of a fried bread. It ends up having a little bit of sweetness to it, but you can't figure out why because all it basically is is oh crap, eggs, and flour, and milk, and maybe salt, and I forget something else, and. You, you mix all that stuff up. You let it sit for half an hour. You get like cupcake tin, uh, cupcake pan, and you put like like a tablespoon full of, of oil or something or or, or, or uh, beef fat or something like that in the bottom of it. Put it in the oven. Uh, let that get real hot up to like around 350 degrees. Pull it back out. Pour a measured amount of the stuff in. Throw it back in the oven for another 25 minutes and you get those crazy looking look little bowl things. Yeah. By the ingredients, I, th I, I imagined in my head, they were going to taste a lot better than what, what you said with the ingredients, but uh, I'm sure they are delicious. <laughs> they, they are, they are, they are very good. Uh, although I'll take the, uh, I'll take the parsnips and the, uh, I'll take the parsnips and the roast and the, and the gravy and that stuff. Um, anytime. That's 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 my favorite part of the meal, to be honest. Like we're talking about a Sunday, what they call a Sunday roast. Right. Makes yeah. sense. All right. Last question for you. Uh, sure. It's I don't know why I just kind of imagine like with as much bird hunting and everything that you do. Are you? Is there any plans on getting a dog? <sighs> that's sadly, a big. That's a big sigh. Sadly. Sadly, probably not for the foreseeable future. Certain things in my life would have to change for me to be able to do something like that. And that's so it's just it's just not in the cards right now. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'd like to, but I just don't think it's in the cards right now. But I mean, because I'm envious, I'm envious of, you know, especially like guys like you that 
Well, and these dogs aren't wonderful just by themselves. These dogs are wonderful. I mean, by the fact that I know you've put in tons of effort into getting these dogs to where they're working so well. And it's such, like I said, it's such a joy to watch, watch them work. Right. Absolutely. Well, you're welcome to hunt with me at any time that you want. I always appreciate someone going with me. That way I can uh, shoot more birds and get more dog work. But uh, if you want to go ahead and let people know your Instagram handle so they can find you, you used to look for a guy with a big hairy uh, face and a lot of hair on his head, but he just got a haircut. But um, you want to go ahead and let them know how to how to find you on Instagram. Instagram, it's quad4gtz. It's all, it all spelled out. And four GTZ. Yeah, four spelled out like that, spelled out the number spelled out as opposed to the preposition. <laughs> I think right. the preposition is a preposition. F O R is a preposition. I don't know. Yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some culture, buddy. Thank you very much, Matt. It was my pleasure. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again out in the field. All right, we'll see you, buddy. Take care. All right, bye. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.